Welcome to Refactor This, sponsored by vFunction. In each episode, we talk application modernization tools, concepts, and advice with industry experts. Hi, my name is Bob Quillen, and on this episode of Refactor This, I'm joined by Mike Amundsen. Mike is an internationally known author. He's consulted with organizations around the world, particularly on microservices, APIs, you know, networking, web development. And I love this on the intersection of technology and society. Maybe we'll get into a little bit of that this afternoon. He works with companies large and small and helps them capitalize on opportunities, particularly in the API microservice area and generally in digital transformation. I'd be remiss not to talk a little about some great books he has on um, one called Design and Build Great APIs. That's in the Pragmatic Programmers Publishing uh, books and also Continuous API Management in O'Reilly book and a variety of other books maybe we'll touch on uh, where we go. But welcome, Mike. Uh, aside from that intro I just gave, any, anything else you'd like to add about your background or maybe what got you interested in microservices, uh, career arc, and just uh, let you go from there? Well, yeah, that's that's a wide open field there. You're very generous. <laughs> First of all, it's, Great. it's good, good to talk to you. Good to see you. I'm excited to talk about the topic of, of technical debt in general, but I come at this whole thing from a kind of a perspective of building relatively large systems. A lot of, a lot of uh, customers I work with have services on the web or on the internet, and many, many, many of them, more now than ever, are trying to transform existing valuable intellectual property into something that works on the internet and microservices and, and you know can be subscribed to in a lot of ways. So it's a really exciting, really challenging time. I've been at this for quite a while, and I'm lucky that I continue to work with great organizations and you know fine products. So I'm, I'm very excited in general right now for the space, and I'm very happy to talk with you today. Cool. That's great. Maybe if we like maybe start the beginning on on basics around why microservices and mm -hmm. kind of what's driving the motivation or need for microservices. Maybe we could start there. That's kind of a wide open question, but give us a, a some groundwork to move forward. Yeah, um, and and that sort of leads to what I was alluding to earlier. The customers I'm working with right now, I have, I have a lot of customers in you know established fields, banking, insurance. Um, all sorts of other uh, areas where they've been around for decades. It's, they've got fantastic systems that do lots of great things, but there's a big challenge to turn those systems from, you know, the word we use today is monolith or, or you know, mm -hmm. sort of single purpose, right. uh, complex, complicated systems into multi-purpose capabilities or services. Very often we talk about this idea of turning your capabilities into a service. We're really good at, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z. Can't we make that a service to, to allow people to start to use and take advantage of? And that can be super challenging. A lot of the customers I'm working with are trying to implement their microservice landscape for a handful of reasons. Some, like I say, are trying to create products um, we want to turn all of this great talent and technology and intellectual property and skill that we have into services that people can subscribe to and use. Some are actually focusing on building internal platforms. Uh, we're not necessarily selling in every individual capability, but we need to kind of platform our company. We have to kind of transform it from a single software organization until a, into a platformy organization. And finally, I have a lot of customers that say, they need to modernize, and they often mm -hmm. use the phrase technical debt. We want to reduce technical debt. Now, that, 
that third option, product platforms mm -hmm. and, and debt, that third option is actually the most dangerous. When you're mm -hmm. doing products and platforms, you usually get a pretty good sense of what you need to do. But if you're not careful, you can get stuck in a, we're going to reduce technical debt and not really find the value and not really transform that into something new and better. Usually you're just kind mm -hmm. of redoing it. So it, it's super challenging in that space, but those are the, those are the typical ones I see. Gotcha. Yeah. Is it, I guess there's those technical reasons around, you know, scalability and reliability uh, that come up. I, I hear that a lot. Is that kind of what's driving a lot of it? I, I also hear, you know, the uh, employee and the people side of, you know, in retention of people, how do you recruit people to maintain these things? I mean, it's kind of more fun to work on microservices than it is a model. So I think maybe there's a spectrum of stuff too, from technology to people. Yeah. 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 I think you're exactly right. You, you've got it pegged. I mean, a lot of transformation is not just technical mm -hmm. at all. In fact, that's mm -hmm. the, the minor portion of it. It's cultural. It's, it's people. Right. It's organizational. Uh, when you uh, move from a relatively monolithic release structure and, and pattern and culture and turn it into that platform or products uh, system, you have a lot more autonomy you have to build into the system. You have a lot more moving parts that have to be coordinated in some way. And you take... Lots and lots, rather than taking a few big leaps every year and say a quarterly release, you have to take lots and lots of small steps over and over and over. So it's a really, really big change. So there, there are lots of motivations. People is usually uh, one of the key ones, I think. Yeah. I would think there's also symptoms that are related to there's the people mm -hmm. side, there's the business side of just even not even keeping up with business requirements and being able to be move quickly enough. That's a a monolith has a already it sounds like it's going to move slowly and microservices should be you know moving quicker. So I've, you know, I know there's a intent there. Is that kind of a, a big motivation also in your experience? Sure. Or? Yeah. So yeah, besides the kind of the conceptual elements of products and mm -hmm. platforms, there's market pressure, right? So mm -hmm. if right. it turns out if you're in a space that is moving quickly technically, there are lots mm -hmm. of innovations and, and lots of new products out there, you have to keep up. So you, you're mm -hmm. kind of pressured in some ways, to speed that time to market. Mm -hmm. So that's a really big challenge. At the same time, just figuring out what it is your customers need. And customers can be defined in lots of ways. A lot of organizations, mm -hmm. customers can be the team next door and the next floor or the business unit you just acquired uh, that's in South America or Australia. Mm -hmm. So there are also other kinds of organizational pressures to, right. to make those changes. And then finally, just the idea of taking advantage of the intellectual property you have. One of the phrases that I use with my customers constantly is unlocking hidden value. You've got mm -hmm. so much value, especially organizations that you, we might even say, we've already said monolith, I guess we might as well say legacy too. Let's throw that in sure. there too. There you go. So-called legacy companies, turns out they've got millions and millions of dollars and uh, just mm -hmm. millions of hours invested in a really powerful system, but it may mm -hmm. be difficult to get at that functionality. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of, there's motivations there as well. Yeah, it sounds like it's there's difficulty in actually finding some of that value too and discovering it. So yeah. um, as one of the, the, the key steps, you know, how do you recommend if people are looking at models, how to start prioritizing and finding that value? Is there a process or things in mind that yeah. you, you recommend? Yeah, the, well, there are a couple of different things. You know, I mentioned time to market is, is mm -hmm. one of the issues, one of the pressures that happens. Another one mm -hmm. is just scale. You need to figure out some parts of your services, some capabilities mm -hmm. have to scale 
faster or scaled better mm-hmm. than other parts. For a lot of organizations, it's not the data model that needs to scale. The data model is pretty well established. Some of it is still maybe even on mainframes, which is totally fine. But you ha- probably have to scale the uh, ability to get access. So that's where mm-hmm. the building the services comes in. So scale also means you're going to have to make sure that the system is safe while it's running. So you've got mm-hmm. runtime security and all sorts of other things that, you, that you've got to tackle as well. So you have this idea of scale and speed and safety all kind of interplaying with each other. You don't want to become more unsafe. One of the advantages of a monolithic style or a monolithic Mm -hmm. approach is you pretty much know where all the parts are. You pretty much know how they interact. And Mm -hmm. you pretty much know where the the dangers are. There's a limited kind of surface area. When you start to create microservices and use APIs to get after them, you're actually increasing your exposure, increasing your service area. So you have more challenges at that safety level, which is also really, really important as well. Yeah, you hear a lot of folks talking about moving back to monoliths or maybe starting with a monolith uh-huh. and moving to a microservice. And, and mm-hmm. I think uh, sometimes we you make the monolith a, you know, the anti-hero in this uh, or the <laughs> enemy, but in some ways it's a viable pattern you know, for certain oh, situations. Yeah. And it, yeah, people absolutely. did it for a reason, right? <laughs> right. Excellent reasons. Yeah. And they continue yeah. to do it for excellent right. reasons. When you think about a startup, right? Startups are mm-hmm. typically, you know, maybe five, six, seven, a dozen people. When you have a dozen people in the organization from top to bottom in a startup, I don't need mm-hmm. 50 microservices. That's a disaster. Right. Typically, I just need one service that works. Let me get one capability out there that some customer wants. Right. As as your product grows and as your organization grows, you need to start thinking about breaking up those capabilities mm-hmm. into manageable units. So a lot of times, what you want to do is you want to retain you want to retain that autonomy of a small to medium sized team, uh, mm-hmm. five to fifteen people maybe. That might mean that that's a capability or that's a service. Right. So if you got right. one hundred and fifty people, you don't necessarily have one service anymore. You might have eight or ten or twelve. So yeah, often the monolith makes sense. And even sort of what I've kind of termed mini monoliths, like mm-hmm. my team or my product group or my, right. uh, you know, my stack, Kiritsu, however you want to use the phrase, mm-hmm. we right. kind of have our own, you know, monolithic way of dealing with this, but we have to interact with everyone else. We have to create an API. We have to document right. it. We have to secure it and all those other things and treat it like the product that it is, even if it's just internal. So there are lots of reasons to, have you know a clearly defined unit? What we don't want is tiny little Legos laying around, and every time I need something, I've got to spend a whole bunch of time reassembling every single part. So I, I need some kind of you know proper fit, mm-hmm. and that's the way gotcha. I think about. It. Gotcha. Yeah, it seems like you know there's a also a back and forth in terms of ebb and flow uh, organizationally. We grew many companies grew very large, and everything was centralized. Yeah in one big headquarters and kind of reinforce these, maybe a monolithic team and a monolithic architecture. We've gone kind of much more remote, decentralized now. We're talking about decentralized yeah. internet and you know, kind of that you know, reorganization of how to build distributed teams. It makes more sense maybe now as we look at microservices too that align with that kind of mentality, being able to break things up and uh, organize it on a smaller basis. Yeah, I think I think you're, you're hitting on another one, which is as sort of the culture change in general, mm-hmm. whether we were, you know, doing more remote work or we were operating in, in smaller teams, 
You mm -hmm. need the tooling and you need the, the rest of the environment to kind of fit along with that. Centralized decision-making works, but that has, a, that has a speed limit. You mm -hmm. know, there's the phrase, you're only as strong as the weakest link. One of the, one of right. the variations mm -hmm. I've used on that is you can only move as fast as your slowest team. Mm -hmm. So if, if time right. to market is really important, you need to figure out how to, how to, make, how to improve that, that, uh, that at that scale as well. So, yeah, I think there's, there's lots of pieces to the puzzle in terms of making sure that you're responsive both to the internal pressures, internal market needs, and external market mm -hmm. needs. I love how you talk about microservice architectures and that balance between speed, which you just talked about, mm -hmm. and then safety, which is managing yeah. risk. And we hear that a lot from, especially someone that has a monolith, is running in the cloud yeah. already, or it's running and it's like, I'm running my business on it. It's still viable. I want to invest in it, but I can't, you know, in flight, you know, take the airplane apart and refuel it no, and all yeah. those things I need to do and keep running. So the risk management's hard. Then doing it, like you said, at scale, it must be hard to balance those from an architectural point of view. Yeah. And and I think it's a constant balance, mm -hmm. right? So gotcha. you know, mm -hmm. it's the three, the three legs of the stool kind of approach. Uh, mm -hmm. We can start to speed up, but that's going to increase our risk um, gotcha. or that's going to reduce our safety. But we can mm -hmm. we can start to scale out, but that may slow us down a little bit. Right. So gotcha. you're you're always making those choices. So the one of the books that you mentioned that I, I did with the mm -hmm. with a team of individuals, continuous API management. We talk mm -hmm. a lot in right. that notion about you're always looking to figure out how to improve somewhere. Goldratt's book, The Goal, right? I don't know if you remember this. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, it's a great, great book. And he talks about focus on the choke point, focus on the thing mm -hmm. that really needs attention. And if you have this sort of continuous approach or the continuous improvement, whatever you want to mm -hmm. tell you, want to sure. about it, you focus on that challenge until you beat that challenge, until you win, and then you go to the next one and the mm -hmm. next one and the next one. So setting up your organization to make that mm -hmm. possible gives you the chance to to constantly balance the, those things like speed and scale and safety and other gotcha. You talk about like the four principles of successful API migration, modernization, and you kind of hit the first one there maybe a little bit, which is like one byte at a time. And I love the idea of coming into modernization. For me, I, I kind of thought we're going to take a whole architecture, we're going to tear it apart and put it back together. And the, and the customer like, no, we're iterating. You know, we're doing, yeah. we got to get one service running. We're going to get that yep. and we're going to run that all the way through. And then we're going to go work on the next one. So it's a very much, is that kind of what you've yep. seen? I, obviously, it's one of your recommendations. Yes, there. yes, for, for lots of reasons. So first of all, mm -hmm. almost all the companies I work with, they have an up and running business, up and running concern. Mm -hmm. They have products and services and customers. They can't just do a greenfield, you know, run out somewhere into the countryside and build a brand new, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright, beautiful building. They, this is mm -hmm. urban renewal. This is like every single right. day. I have to do something. So yeah, that one bite at a time notion is is sort of like how do you eat an elephant, right? If mm -hmm. one bite at a right. time, if you're not a vegetarian, I guess. The 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 real version of that, the real life version of that, I learned from Adrian Cocroft. Uh, he mm -hmm. he's talked about a lot of this yeah. when he was at Netflix, yeah. and he said we do yeah, one yeah. thing, right? We do one thing, and we solve that problem. We find the smallest thing we can do to have the greatest impact. Mm -hmm. We do that one thing. And then we move on to the next thing. One of the other mm -hmm. things I learned from Adrian's uh, talking is that not only do they do one thing, but they do actually one thing. If we need to modify the object model and we need to modify the database, one release is modifying the object model. That's the release. Mm -hmm. The next release after that's successful is modifying right. the database. 
right? You really focus down. And so it's every single step is a deliverable. And that's where mm-hmm. DevOps really kind of comes in. And then the other yeah. things we talked about, the other, the other four parts of it is um, patterns we learn from code, the strangler pattern, the facade pattern, mm-hmm. the refactoring right. pattern. The strangler pattern is a great example of this idea yeah. of reducing some part in the monolith. Maybe I got a search function in the monolith. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and set the search function up as a service. We'll leave mm-hmm. the rest of the monolith there, but we'll just right. route to the search, the new search function uh, mm-hmm. service as we need it. And you slowly replace those parts. I think one of the kind other of ones that we learned managing uh, that, that 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 risk in there too, and the, yeah. the safety along with the uh, yeah, with the one byte at a time. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, one of the other ones uh, that uh, comes from uh, Amazon, uh, mm-hmm. Werner Vogels and Amazon Web Services, is that APIs are forever. You promise an interface to somebody, like they promised S3 mm-hmm. interface, like the S3 bucket. Mm-hmm. It's been around for almost 15 years now, I think. Right. They can't just change that and then break everybody. That API mm-hmm. is forever. That's a promise you make. They've done very, very extensive changes to the operations in the feature set of S3, but they've never broken the original S3. If you mm-hmm. have a, a, a version one client for S3, that thing still works. Mm-hmm. So APIs are forever. So yeah, you keep making changes and you refactor and all those other things, but mm-hmm. that interface promise, you can't just change whenever you want to, because now what you're doing is you're making your customers spend money on a sprint mm-hmm. because of something you did. They may right. not even want this new feature, right? right. And then so there's the... I say spend extra time on the API and use that as your abstraction. Let the change happen underneath it, and but Absolutely. invest in making sure the API was there first. Yeah, make, <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's the thing we talked about uh, already: is continuous change also means reversibility. Learn mm-hmm. that from Martin Fowler and ThoughtWorks. If mm-hmm. you put in a production change and it doesn't work, you, sh- you should be able to back it out right away. That's a that's a technical skill that you really mm-hmm. need if you're going to create a platform of products, a portfolio of services. So uh, one byte at a time, the refactoring, APIs are forever, the reversibility of a release. We got that uh, from Etsy. You know, Etsy is mm-hmm. really good at what they call the dark release program, where mm-hmm. you, you make a change, you turn the feature off, you put it into production, you use the same monitoring tools, you make sure it's still running just fine. If it is, you turn that feature on for a small group of people. If it's still running mm-hmm. fine, you can roll that out to other people. And that's your constant pattern. So right there, that's a skill set that is mm-hmm. that is very valuable. And that changes your culture. Every one of those steps right. can change yeah. the way organizations work. I think a lot about how you build bridges from a team that's focused on the monolith and how they operate to now moving to you know new kind of more cloud-native best practices and approaches like you know blue green like strangular strangler etc and it you you know you could take the monolith you're starting to not only teach them how to to refactor and move to a cloud native microservice but also the devops patterns to make it work to iterate on it to be able to refactor and um and manage that change in a safe way that's been proven by you know many of the you know the massive companies that are out there on the internet side right now so Yeah, I think, you know, from my perspective, DevOps is the result Mm -hmm. of the kinds of changes we need to make, right? Mm -hmm. We need to automate the parts that you repeat over and over again, Mm -hmm. like build and deploy and test. Mm -hmm. We don't need to automate the parts which are creative thinking, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. problem solving, which is creating great products. 
we need to automate, and that's a, that's like an Intel deal, right? Mm-hmm. So right. We, you know, the, we improve the quality of the product uh, through mm-hmm. automation. So DevOps mm-hmm. gives us that chance to do that, and yeah, that's that's a culture change as well. Continuous right. um, mm-hmm. build, continuous integration, continuous release. These are each one of these are steps along uh, along a continuum as well that are super challenging. But again, yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna meet those needs in the market, often that's where you need to go. Yeah, bringing those cloud native best practices back into modernization, which can be kind of you know old and stodgy. Now we're using new you know, approaches that are fresh. We can think about continuous modernization, something you do all the time. How, you know, technical debt, you know, something that just yep. doesn't you know happen overnight. It's a it slowly creeps up on you, and and then suddenly it's there, and it's something you need to manage all the time. I would expect. Yeah, and you know we haven't we talked a lot about the the debt like the. Mm-hmm. The, the scary thing, right. that, that dark, scary right. thing. But, you know, debt, I mean, you've written about this too. So, mm-hmm. I mean, debt is really, it's something that you kind of acquire over time, mm-hmm. right? It right. isn't something that you build in automatically. So we'll right. just bury the debt over here. And this is something mm-hmm. that happens over time. So all of these all of these things we're doing to kind of help us with our time to market and, and the skill set of, of one byte at a time and APIs mm-hmm. are forever. Right, right. All ways to kind of chip away at the accumulation of code that's not working the way it should be right. or a feature that doesn't, it isn't needed anymore mm-hmm. or the lack of a feature. A lot of times I run into organizations where their customers needed a feature, a functionality. They don't have it in their monolith, but right. what they have are incredibly creative people. They say, you know what? If we take feature A, and then we take the output of feature A and transform it just a little bit and throw a couple other things in from feature B, then we actually have this new feature X that they really, really want. So people right. are incredibly creative. Well, now it turns mm-hmm. out you've got a really unexpected or unintended dependency between A and B in order to get X. Mm-hmm. Now you have another kind of debt, and that debt is often right. visibility. Uh, right. A lot of challenges my customers have are how do I know where the dangerous parts are buried? Mm-hmm. And right. that takes a level of analysis that, that can be really, really challenging. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of work that you know we do around assessment is looking at dependencies right. and just giving you a sense of like, what do you have? How does it work? What are the you know, aging frameworks you have? How are things interrelated? You know, the architectural interrelationships are kind of hard to see, especially, you know, forest mm-hmm. and trees kind of things. And a monolith kind yeah. of covers a lot of that up. And like you said, how do I reach inside and understand where my debt is and where to start? And sometimes that's the hardest thing is where do I start, right? It, it, yeah. it really is. When when I talk to customers, that's actually a big question. They they say, mm-hmm. okay, sure, Mike, you know, I, I love this. I love your, you know, models mm-hmm. and your approaches. But where, you know, where do I point this thing? How do I get started? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, that is really, really challenging. And mm-hmm. a big part of it is this visibility or this ability mm-hmm. to look into the box, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of us, right. we have a lot of black boxes in what we've done. Yeah, yeah. I work in a lot of organizations where, no, you know, that was that was Mary. She was here 15 years ago, mm-hmm. built this thing that we all use, and Mary's Mary's moved on. She's in another part right. of the organization now. Mm-hmm. So we're not sure anymore. Um, I have a story. I won't mention the company, but they hired a new um, CTO. The first thing that the CTO said is, we have about 300 engineers and we have about 400 services. And what has <laughs> happened... <laughs> What has happened right. is every time somebody wanted to make a change, they were too nervous to perturb the existing system in any way. They would just mm-hmm. create something new and add it right. to the pile. 
And they lost all visibility and all sense of what path was what. How do you right. analyze where right. this is going? So they needed a lot of work to create mm -hmm. that observability and that monitoring and that ability to right. see where the expense is. You know, another big question. And, uh, we've touched on this. I know you've touched on this. How do I know where to spend my dollar? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what's what's right. going to make a difference? We talk right. about the Cocroft one bite at a time. Well, fine. Where mm -hmm. do I start? This is a huge set of problems. You need some serious tooling in order mm -hmm. to understand. One of the questions uh, leadership asks very often is, I spent all this money five years ago, guys. How come mm -hmm. it costs me more money now right. to, to try exactly. to get some of this out? Yeah. Right. Yeah. See, uh, you know, carrying forward old code, there's dead code sitting in there. Right? Yes. Um, one thing we saw a lot coming into this market is that there's a lot of bloated microservices too, because they just kind of carry yeah. all that old debt and they don't know i don't know what that did but i think it's important and yeah. i'm just gonna take it <laughs> yeah. forward so now, now you have these bloated microservices which sometimes are worse than the, the model that they came from and uh, so having that visibility as you talk about and be able to pull apart what's working what's important and kind of see inside uh the machine around that shell is uh it's inside the black box i think is a well yeah, it's it's, thing, it's yeah. a it's a huge it's a huge important element. One of the things we I talked about earlier is people using refactoring and facades, mm -hmm. right? Yep. That's right. if you're not careful, if you just build the facade and mm -hmm. then walk away, you right. now have more code than you used to before. The <laughs> right. facades are supposed to give us this opportunity to to create this stabilizing right. structure, and then right. go back behind the scenes, mm -hmm. and now you can start ripping the wires out because there's already something that's stable. So yeah. you have to make sure you complete the cycle. You have to target what's important. You have mm -hmm. to build that facade to stabilize it. Then you have to go back, transform what you have into mm -hmm. something better. And then right. often you don't need that facade anymore. So mm -hmm. you, you're, you're exactly yeah. right in the sense that if you're not careful, yeah. <laughs> you can make it worse. Mm -hmm. You kind of talked about one of my favorite things. I love catchy acronyms and your mm. star model is right along that line of stabilize, transform, add and repeat. That's it. Yeah. Um, but the stabilize and transform part is what we see a lot, which is, even in lift and shift, when people migrate, they'll put something uh, up in the cloud, and then that's like we're done. Like, no, all you've done no. is move your monolith from you know one space to another. And now you change your data center, more or less, um, yep. which can have good 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 you know, repercussions. But you haven't actually transformed anything, really. So, right, that model of the star idea mm -hmm. is really mm -hmm. just what you were talking about. This notion of let's stabilize. I often urge people get yourself a proxy, get yourself a facade mm -hmm. in place. This is exactly mm -hmm. how we would do it in code, right. but now we're going to right. do it on the network with services and machines. And then mm -hmm. once you have that stabilizer, you can start to transform behind the scenes, which is exactly mm -hmm. what we were talking about before. I can I can sometimes take what was native code and actually use an API from a third party. Or mm -hmm. I can bring in some COTS, some, some uh, off-the-shelf commercial, off-the-shelf right. software to solve that particular part of the organization now, whereas before it would have been really, really costly to do it. Now, as you start to do that transformation, when somebody wants to add a feature or a service, you want to add some new functionality, you mm -hmm. can treat that like a separate event, a separate sprint. That's another step. So like we were saying before about we move some search out of uh, out of the monolith into its own right. step, maybe we want to add a new customizable mm -hmm. way of searching. That's a totally new feature. Build that feature and put it into the into the mix, into the collection through mm -hmm. the proxies. So that's that right. adding new functionality. Mm -hmm. And then the biggest part, which we've alluded to over and over again, is fine. We've done the, 
the stabilize, the transform, right. and the, the add. Now we've got to repeat that over and over and over. And that's the right. that's sort of the continuous part. And when you see your work as this ability to stabilize what's there, transform what's needed, add the new functionality, and then move on, that's mm-hmm. a great business. That's a great yeah. service that you're doing to everyone. You're improving developer mm-hmm. experience, customer experience, changing the bottom line, making it more flexible and applicable to the market needs. You're creating a different kind of culture inside the organization that really is built on that notion of continuously mm-hmm. finding a way to make it just a little bit better every day. Yeah. I love the fact that the uh, it's not just a, so many people think this is a project and it ends and yeah. it's a, it's a cycle. It's a life cycle that's yep. and it's a best practice. It's something you do all the time is that continuous element, as you mentioned, the repeat. Yep. Otherwise, it's just STA. It's just stock. I need the R at the end to make it interesting. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I, need, I needed that R. What would I? What would I get? How about we repeat? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, cool. I guess that hits a lot of the the major items I wanted to talk about. What are you working on next? What's What's next for Mike in terms of uh, some of the things you're looking forward to, or some of the things you're looking out in terms of uh, you know next next challenges or. Yeah, actually, I just finished a project, another another oh. book for O'Reilly, which is RESTful Web API Patterns ah. and Practices Cookbook. I tried to throw as many cool you know, SEO words <laughs> cool. in there as I could. Uh-huh. Um, it's really a collection of, of patterns I've learned over the years from all these companies mm-hmm. I've worked with. And it's applied specifically to the notion of distributed data and distributed systems, distributed uh, mm-hmm. problem solving. So, so that's just released. So we're focusing on that. I cool. continue to visit with customers, although we do it much more remote, you know, often remotely now. Mm-hmm. But there's there's always something new, and I'm always I'm excited to travel, even though I've done it for for so long, because I learn something new every single mm-hmm. time. So I'm excited. There's always a chance mm-hmm. to learn, and I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to the chance to learn more. Cool. There you go. Cool. Just if we kind of go into. We sometimes we do a lightning round at the end, but the oh, okay. idea of, yeah, no, just uh, this is more, what should we know about Mike in terms of how he likes to relax or kick back? Or do you have any uh, ways to disconnect? Oh, it's not like you like yeah. to travel. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I live in uh, Northern Kentucky in the United mm-hmm. States and not too far from here, a couple hours from here, my son has a, has a cabin in the woods. Oh, wow. Nice. In the Red River Gorge area, which is uh-huh. internationally known as a great destination for hiking and biking and rock climbing. Mm-hmm. I can't do any rock climbing at, at my at my stage in life. But mm-hmm. I would I love hiking. I and I mm-hmm. love trail biking, uh simple mm-hmm. trail biking, what we call gravel biking today. So I do mm-hmm. a lot of that. And if I'm really lucky, I also get a chance to play uh music. I grew up as a musician. Uh, ah. I had a previous life where I was a an arranger. Uh uh-huh. I did commercial music and and played yeah. on on stage a lot. So oh, I have a bunch well, of electronic instruments and sometimes I get to online doing what it. was your uh your keyboard player or uh yeah no saxophones, reeds. Saxophone. So I, ah, I started okay, out cool. as clarinet and spent a lot of time mm-hmm. on saxophone. I now have a very wonderful MIDI saxophone device. Uh it's really oh, quite amazing. Cool. And I I get to, it feels just like a real, real horn. And uh-huh. I have a great time with it. Yeah. Is there a, uh, a, a different musical instrument you'd love to master one day? You know, oh, gosh. I, I, <laughs> you know, I do enough keyboard to be dangerous and somewhat uh-huh. uh, entertaining as long as you don't look too deep. Maybe right. getting better at that 
my mm -hmm. son got out a uh, nylon string classical guitar, which I used to ah. do decades ago. That that's ah, actually that's cool. that might be kind of nice. But I've got my hands full just trying to just trying to deal with what I have today. Yeah. I don't I don't <laughs> yeah. know if I've got any brand new horizons uh -huh. in my future. But hey, you never know. Yeah, you never know. So well, that's cool. Well, Mike, it's been great great talking to you. Thanks for your time. Yeah. Pleasure talking Thanks, to you Bob. today, and yeah, look forward to talking to you more. And uh, we'll, we'll see you out there. Thanks, Mike. You bet. Bye bye.